Hi, my name is Shirley Hudson-Hill. Uh, I'm an interpretive planner here at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Welcome to this bonus episode in our series, Into the Anthropocene, Our Impact on Earth. I'm part of the exhibition planning team for Anthropocene and one of the producers for this podcast. And today, we're turning the tables a bit as I interview our podcast's host, Serene Fox. We couldn't invite a person as amazing as Serene in to be our host without sharing a bit more of her life, her work, and the perspectives that she brings to this podcast. Serene is an Anishinaabe dancer, artist, activist, television personality, or as she likes to summarize, storyteller. And I'm just so happy to have Serene with me today. Hi, Serene. Hi, Timigwich, for having me. <laughs> it's, like I said, it's certainly my pleasure. Um, can you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself in case they haven't encountered you in one of your many, um, in one of your many activities? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like you said, I like to call myself a storyteller, but I work in film and television a lot right now. I'm a host of a show called Rise, which was on Viceland. I also have a new show coming up called Future History, uh, which is actually out right now, uh, but in Ojibwe, and it'll come out in English shortly. Um, and yeah, I'm a storyteller that uses lots of mediums to uh, amplify the voices of not only my people, but of our nation. So you grew up in Barrie, Ontario. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, when I was younger, I used to be so shy of saying I was from Barrie. I like to say I was like a big city girl. Um, but no, I grew up on the water in Barrie, and I'm so proud of that now. You know, um, my roots are in northern Ontario, but we moved out of the city so that my sisters and I could have a lot more access to a simple life. Uh, and I loved it. I, I really realize now that I, I need to be close to the water. I need to be close to the land. And... I'm really grateful that I had that preparation before I ended up being mostly in the cities now. So let's talk about cities. You studied dance and film in New York, one of the world's most iconic cities. How did you make that transition from Barrie to New York? Uh, what did you find there? So I think I've always been obsessed with New York. Uh, when I was 15, I lost my dad and my mom brought me to New York. We just like up and went to New York as a way of sort of handling it together. And I think being there with her and seeing all the big lights and also grieving, um, it set something in stone, like anything is possible. Like no matter what happens to you, there's magic in grief and there's magic um, in having someone show you the possibilities. So I fell in love with New York when I was 15, and I said, I'm going to come here. I'm going to be where those big lights are, and I'm going to make it happen for myself. And at that moment when I was 15, I was still really being bullied and still really unsure of who I was. Um, so New York, in a lot of ways, sort of helped me to believe in myself. Uh, it was a city where they say make it or break it, you know, and for me, it, it shaped me into somebody who was able to stand on my own and able to take on anything. And um, it also forced me to make my own community. So long, long winded. That's how I found activism for myself, too. I grew up in a really politically active family, but when I moved to New York, I found the American Indian Community House and I found a way to to connect with my people that made me feel like I was a part of a community anywhere in the world. Well, I mean, you've mentioned connection. Um, 
when did you first see that you could use your voice to raise awareness around issues, uh, the issues that you so uh, eloquently bring to the forefront around land, around water issues, around, around connectivity, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was two years old when Oka happened, so my mom's always said that it's in my blood, but I think I really started to feel this this urge where I just knew that it was something that I couldn't put on the back burner anymore during Idle No More. I just, I was still in New York and I remember feeling like I've got to be home. I've got to be a part of this. And I came home for Christmas break and um, Idle No More was in full swing and I went straight to Ottawa and I went straight to Victoria Island and I was there to feel what was going on and to stand with the people. And then that's it. I knew that my art, um, anything that I was going to be a part of, it had to have movement because I felt the power of the people rising up. Well, speaking of Ottawa, uh, <laughs> you walked Justin Trudeau through uh, Shoal Lake 40 and it was filmed for Viceland uh, for the documentary Cutoff. Tell us a bit about Shoal Lake 40 and why was why was it so important for the prime minister, especially this prime minister, to see what was going on there, what is going on there? Yeah, Shoal Lake 40 is a community that is just outside of Kenora. It's like 20 clicks outside of Kenora. And they've been actively lobbying the government to help them get clean drinking water for over 30 years. So it was vital for our current prime minister to go there. It was vital for any prime minister to go to this place for a long time and many other reserves who are in this situation. But I always say that Trudeau got in from the Indigenous vote. I think there were more voters that showed up for him than ever before. And we know that to be true because things happened like northern communities ran out of ballots. There were so many voters. So... I think you got to walk the talk. So if you're going to say that you stand for Indigenous people and the current situation that Indigenous peoples are in in this country, then you got to show up and do things like deliver water. I don't think we can claim to be a quote-unquote first world country until everyone in this country has access to clean drinking water, which is a necessity of life. Yeah. Basic human right. Yeah. yeah. So um, that was so vital. And mm -hmm. yeah, let's let's hold him to account and yeah. see yeah, if he puts literally the money where his mouth is, because he certainly has the power to do that. And wouldn't that be fantastic? Like, wouldn't it be awesome to create a legacy where we're like, that prime minister kept his promises? It's never happened before. I will remain hopeful. That That is... <laughs> Me too. I choose hope. I just choose because there's no other way to live. <laughs> there really isn't. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more you know, about Cutoff, the uh, the show, uh, the, you know, the documentary you did for Viceland. Um, and you also have done this amazing documentary series, Rise, which when I watched it, I mean, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and... Uh, certainly, we're working on, you know, this exhibition, Anthropocene. That's why we're here today. And it seems like all the issues that we're, many of the issues we're looking at in Anthropocene are, are there in RISE. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about Cutoff and RISE? Yeah, so I had an incredible opportunity to work with Iceland to do these documentaries and an incredible director for RISE, I'm Michelle Latimer. But RISE takes viewers to the front line of Indigenous resistance and I think it flips things on its head a little bit because it's not just resistance, it's um, 
It's about what's going on within um, what I like to call Indian country that is reclaiming Indigenous knowledge and that is amplifying the voices of the people in a way that I think is more relevant than we've ever seen it before. Um, Especially with social media, I've seen people um, be more aware of what's going on than I've ever seen. And that's really incredible. So the documentary really helps people to get involved and to know the truth about what's happened and what's going on and where we're going in the future. So guys, if you haven't seen Cut Off and you haven't seen Rise, you need to get on the internet now uh, and Google it and watch these important pieces because um, like I said, the, these are these are the issues of our time and the, it, it's just amazing to see you at work. It's, it's just uh, so moving. For Rise, you, you traveled the world and you spoke to so many people about the lives they're living, the everyday lives. Um, can you share with us just today any of the, the most memorable experiences that you had in your travels? Oh, man, there were so many. Yeah, you know, anytime I get asked that question, the first thing that comes to mind is this interview that I did with a young youth group. They were young women who helped to start the Standing Rock movement, the the movement that we know happened from the Dakota Access Pipeline. And these young women, we were at a fire. We were actually about to roast marshmallows, and it seemed really chill. And uh, I started doing a really low-key interview, and right off the bat, one of the young ladies said, you know, we're we're afraid that we're going to get stolen. And I remember it just like hit me and I asked her, what do you mean? And she said that they're so close to the man camps that young women, young girls are just being stolen from their front yards and being put into sex trafficking. So I remember that moment so clearly because I realized that it is powerful to hear that story in any context, but to know that you can take that story and make sure that the whole world hears this young girl saying that there's power and there's power in how honest she was and that's it like we're not fighting you want to fight big industry sure you can get into all the politics but let's talk about life and these young girls life is at risk from big oil you know it's hard for me I think it's hard for anyone to hear that and think about think about North America in that way mm-hmm. but we we have to think about it and we need to hear those stories yeah um and I mean with this podcast we're hoping we want to talk about big issues but we're also trying to bring in the perspectives of the people on the ground mm-hmm. uh and those everyday people who can share with us you know what does the Anthropocene look like mm-hmm. really out there in the world uh and how is it impacting lives all over the planet in ways that we haven't imagined Mm -hmm. and that's that's one just astoundingly horrifying example yeah Um, and you know I know that that one's heavy but there's also light in that you know like this young girl had the opportunity to tell her story to the world it's probably a story that she's been screaming at the top of her lungs and no one has been listening Um, and there are countless stories like that and I think it's important when we hear really heavy things like that to remember that sometimes you need that darkness to see the light, and there's so much light, too. Okay, I just need a Yeah. <laughs> oh, um... <clears throat> when we're talking about the economy and oil wealth, 
local people and often indigenous people are completely left out of the conversation uh, and certainly the national conversation. Um, what is one thing that our listeners, you know, you've mentioned Standing Rock. Um, you know, we've got our own issues here with Trans Mountain mm -hmm. happening right here in Canada. Mm -hmm. Government paid for by our, our supposedly green government, yeah. uh, federal government. Uh, what is the one thing listeners should know about pipeline protests, uh, you know, related to Dakota, but also, you know, here in Canada? Yeah, I think it's really simple for me. You cannot take away the destruction of the land from the destruction of our bodies and of us as Indigenous people, and I think all people. But from my own perspective, I know that I am the land. I'm, I'm not just living on the land. I am the land. And we know that in science, to be true, we are stardust. You know, we every part of the physical space we live in exists inside us. And so if we're not willing to protect the land, what we're saying is we're not willing to protect ourselves. It's just simple to me. As I've been working on Anthropocene, I... I thought I knew things about climate change and the impact we as humans are having on the planet, uh, but I, I had no idea. And it is. It's the air we breathe. It is our homes. It's the, it's the land we stand on. It's the land that gives us our food. And so, yeah, this is, this, is our, this is our biosphere. This is what's giving us life. And if we are, if we are destroying it, then we are destroying us at the same time. It makes sense. I mean, obviously, Indigenous people have known this for <laughs> time immemorial. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of us are just starting to wake up to this and probably not soon enough, which is kind of... Yeah, I, just to give a little bit of credit to settlers, too, I, I always go back to this idea that I grew up with an origin story like about how I was connected to this place where we are right now. Um, and I know that settlers have an origin story, too. And I think that one of the things that's happened when we talk about how much colonization has happened is that settlers aren't going back to their original origin stories, too. And I've never heard them, but I'm sure they're beautiful, and I'm sure they also tie you to the land. I need to do some research, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, we're so excited to have you as the host of our Anthropocene podcast. What? What? <laughs> is, it too, uh, is it too straightforward to ask why did you say yes? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> what, um, what about the Anthropocene and this exhibition mm -hmm. uh, interests you? And why are you, you, why are you joining us on this journey? <laughs> oh, man, so many reasons. Um, uh, I, I like it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, I was also raised, my mom is a visual artist as well, and I was raised in, in the art scene. And um, I think, to be quite frank with you, I understand the power of the arts to overcome all barriers and to really start conversations that I think people are quite frankly uncomfortable to have. Um, so I'm interested in anything that removes those barriers and cuts straight to the heart of things and says, let's talk truth. And I think that's what this podcast will be a lot of true speaking and a lot of curiosity and um, selfishly, I'm really excited to interview some of our guests. I'm just, I feel so honored and blessed and grateful. And so I'm into it. We're so happy to have you. And, um, 
Is there anything in particular that you're hoping to learn out of this experience as as the host? Because I, I know that's the exciting thing for me working on these exhibitions here at the EGO is I'm constantly learning. Um, so you know, what, what do you want to learn on this podcast? <laughs> oh, man, I want to learn so much. And I think that the, the awesome thing about a podcast is I get to talk to people and hear their stories. And um, I'm always like curious and, and, and listening for those little, uh, I always get in trouble for this. I always say tin bits, which actually makes me super Canadian, but tidbits of information that are going to be life changing that I'm just going to put in my toolbox. And I know with the list of people we're going to be speaking to that I'm going to learn so much about how I can also move forward within my practice. There's going to be an exchange, and I know it, and that's so exciting. Okay, big question here, but it's one that may be pacing around people's heads. What can we as Canadians, as citizens of this planet, do to help? I mean, how can we engage with issues surrounding land, water, earth? Yeah, big question. That question is really hard to answer because it it also... It asks the question, how do you motivate people to care? Because it's not just about how you can tell people to be involved or or to be a part of something um, isn't enough. You actually have to make people get up on their feet. So I think that in this country in particular, we have to realize that we're living in an occupied state. And if we think of it that way, then we realize that there is something that we have to lend ourselves to. And what is that? We have to lend ourselves to the idea that somebody else loved this place first as much as we all love it now. And I think if we think about um, our love for this country like that, it changes the way we think about Indigenous people. We love this earth. We love it so much that we want to be a part of this country too. And so Canadians need to realize that that's where the fight comes from, from love of this place that we've all now created and become a part of. So I think in order for people not to become complacent, they need to know and understand and be willing to be a part of the truth. And that's why the moment we're living in right now, where there's so much truth speaking, where things like the TRC... um, are giving us 94 recommendations. That's a map. That's a roadmap for us to follow. And that's never happened before. So we're really lucky. As Canadians, as world citizens, we have more support from each other than we've ever had before. And instead of um, letting the world make us more and more and more of individuals, we need to come together and realize that as a human race, we are connected and we need to lean on each other and not turn our backs. Serene. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Miigwech. Yeah, chi miigwech. <laughs> chi just means lots of things. <laughs> if you listen to this uh, episode and you don't want to listen to the rest of the podcast, fair play, fair play to you. But <laughs> I am so excited for you to hear everything, you, our listeners, to hear everything that we have in store in this series. So I hope you'll continue listening and uh, hearing Serene's wonderful voice. So thank you for joining us on, on the other side of the mic today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Chimigwich. That brings us to the end of this special bonus episode of Into the Anthropocene. I'm podcast producer Shirley Hudson-Hill, and I've been speaking with our host, Serene Fox. We hope you'll join us for the rest of our series. 
Into the Anthropocene, Our Impact on Earth was produced by the Art Gallery of Ontario in Toronto to go along with the exhibition Anthropocene, featuring the works of Edward Bertinsky, Jennifer Beishwal, and Nicolas de Poncier. The exhibition is on at the Art Gallery of Ontario and the National Gallery of Canada from the end of September 2018 until early 2019. For more information, visit our website, www.ago.ca.